Welcome to the Design Systems Podcast. We're all about the places where design and development overlap. We talk with the industry experts about trends in design, development, and take a look at new ways to build digital experiences, typically over a beer or two. And I'm your host, Chris Strahl. Today, we're talking with Nam Ho. He's the EVP of Delivery at Basalt. He's worked on a lot of major design systems projects, including projects for folks like Workday, Twitter, Memorial Sloan Kettering, and Pegasystems. Nam is going to be talking with me about PM perspectives on design systems, how you build them, what's different about project management when you're using a design system, and how you think about maintaining and scaling them once they're built. Uh, Welcome to the program, Nam. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Doing good. Hey, uh, before we get started, what beer do you got today? An IPA from Breakside. Oh, right on. It's not from Breakside, but whatever. Whatever. I, I took a guess. It was either Breaks or Ten Barrel. There's two breweries that here we like. Ten Barrel Apocalypse IPA brewed in Bend, I believe. Yeah. Excellent. Wait, well, hey, cheers, man. Welcome to the podcast. Cheers, dude. Uh, so, Nam, you spent a lot of time in agency building websites, digital products. Uh, most of this has been associated with large enterprises. You know, I just want to kind of lead off by talking about what are some of the differences between building products with design systems versus building them without. If you think about the the traditional idea of, of hey, we start building a website and we have things like user journeys and comps, and then you transform that into code, which ultimately users consume as a digital experience. What's different with that when you think about it from a design systems perspective? Well, the one cool thing when you're um, project managing or building a project using a design system, you're reusing components that you built already. So for instance, the traditional way we did before was you get a comp from a designer and you're building that to spec, right? Page by page, soup to nuts, top to bottom, footer, header, it's dialed in, perfect, pixel, pixel, perfect, right? However, with design systems, you have that same concept, but you're identifying what are some reusable parts you could reuse for future projects, future websites, future digital projects. So when you're thinking about patterns or components or whatever you want to call them, and you you have this comp or this design that's handed over to you, and you work with a, a design team and a development team to hack that up into its its different pieces, how do you go from design to component elements than to actually like a production page on a website? So the first step of it is you're always going to get some sort of design asset. And for this sake, let's just use a PDF that's a mock-up of multiple pages you're using. And um, my first thing is, okay, guys, that's Everyone gets together on a team, and the team consists of not just developers. You have your designers, your developers, your QA people, and even your stakeholders. And we all get together, and we build, we look at the comps together and decide, like, what are some reusable pieces we got here? Like, what is some repeating patterns you see? And we can kind of do what I call an interface inventory, which is, like, you sit down there, and you uh, can either print out the uh, mock-ups and cut up what's reusable and what's repeating there and um, identify some some components. And the component that everyone identifies usually is a card, right? A card can live on multiple sites of the page, um, the home page, the marketing page, the blog pages. The cards exist all over the place there. And so once you're um, identifying all these components, you're building your inventory or your backlog on components that you need to build into your design system. So you have your cards, your headers, your buttons, and then you're building that into your design system. And then from there, you implement it into your uh, CMS. Gotcha. So so you have a, an approach that uses the interface inventory methodology that I believe was first described by Brad Frost, yep. right? Shout out to Brad. Hey, Brad. We'll actually put in the show notes uh, a link to Brad's blog about how to perform an interface inventory. Uh, so you have this interface inventory that you go through 
And then ultimately out of that comes components. And then you build those components and then you implement those components. Talk to me a little bit more about the methodology that you use for this. I know you're an agile practitioner, but talk to me a little bit about first, like what agile is and then how you apply agile in a design systems world. Yeah, Agile. We're we're in software, so Agile is probably the chosen project management framework to um, manage these types of software development projects. What, what do you mean by framework exactly? When you talk about about a framework, what's the difference between a framework, a philosophy, and a methodology? That's great. I, I was just getting into that actually. When people think of Agile, they hear other terms like Scrum and Kanban and Waterfall and all these things. And what does that all really mean? And one day I didn't understand it either. So I, you know, pulled up the internet and started looking into this stuff and like, all right, well, what I understand and want people to understand too is agile is actually the philosophy. It's like the parent methodology, if anything, right? It gets a framework that people follow. And under that, there's different types of uh, children or methodologies within that. There's Scrum, Kanban, Waterfall, XP, and all these other fancy ones. But at the heart of it, Agile is a software development methodology that is based on incremental iterative approach versus the traditional methodology of like, let's all get together and plan, super, super plan in depth at the beginning of the project of every single detail there where there's not much room for iterations or feedback. And that's the difference between the Agile framework and other methodologies um, people use. How do you then apply that in a a design systems landscape? What's the advantage of a design system that sort of aids that methodology or enhances it? So with design systems, like the one thing that correlates really well with Agile and design systems is that it's feedback loops, right? You're constantly getting feedback from your developers and your designers of like what the components should look like, what are the different variations, how to use it, how not to use it. And getting that feedback there is very similar to Agile because you're it's a feedback loop. You're always getting feedback of, from your stakeholders. Gotcha. And that allows for better iteration, faster iteration. And then what you ultimately have is you have this, this thing that as a component is then reused across multiple different products. And so I guess it's really important for you to get that component right. Yeah, totally. And the cool thing is, in the beginning, when we're sussing out these components and talking about it, everyone has a clear understanding, a shared language of what what this component means. Because some people can call a hero image a hero image or a header or like that big banner on top of the website. You have that shared language there. So it helps with the development a lot, having that shared language. So, so hot takes on names, hero or header? Hero. Card or tile? Card. Uh, button or CTA? Button. All right. Whoa, I got one for you now. Uh, accordion or drop down? Accordion. Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Sure. High five, high five. High five. That's some design systems nerdery right there, if I ever heard it. All right. So what's your favorite project management methodology of all the different agile pieces that are out there? Um, are you a scrum guy or a Kanban guy, XP? Well, um, I've used all of them, but my bread and butter is scrum. I'm definitely a scrum type of person. Um, I work really well in teams. I love leading teams. I love planning within a time frame and knowing when that time frame ends and, you know, that excitement at the very end of a sprint where you're like kind of hustle and trying to get these things done by the end of the sprint and show off to your stakeholders. That is what I kind of live for. And I want to get my team excited for that moment. And then the retro, what could we do better? Great. So you've talked a little bit about how you kind of set the stage, some stuff about your methodology. Talk to me about your team composition. When you're looking at your average team, who's on that team? Who's a part of it? Uh, what role do they play? And then what do you really look for when it comes to a high-performing team? 
This is a trick question because as a project manager, it depends. Depends on the project, depends on what it is. But on average, like you asked for, I like teams that have, and I've worked really successfully with teams that have a variety of um, perspectives. And that means project managers, developers, uh, both front end and back end, um, designers, um, and most importantly, QA people. Uh, QA engineers, they come in and they test your stuff out, make sure it's not broken. And that's before you deliver it to the client. The oft-forgotten QA role. Oh, that, you, uh, you don't know how many times a QA person has saved my ass. Oh, my gosh. But we're about to ship this huge feature, and at the 10th hour, they found this little bug, and luckily, we caught it, got it done, and the client was happy. If they would have found that, we would have been in deep trouble. Gotcha. So, the makeup, then, of a, a really high-performing team, it's cross-functional. It includes a diverse set of stakeholders. Is there anything else that makes a team successful? Team cohesion. That's my, my main thing is making sure that we all working on the same goal. Uh, we all are working well together. We understand the requirements and that we're delivering something really awesome to the client. So we're talking a little bit about the idea of cohesion inside of teams. Tell me, how do you manage to harmonize the traditional gap between designers and developers in your process. Is there any specific methods or tools you use? And, you know, I really am looking to try to understand how design systems help enable this. I'm glad you asked this question. Um, this is actually my favorite thing about uh, managing design systems teams is because I'm bridging that gap between developers and designers there, right? Um, we're working together to build a common project. But hold on, before I get into that, let me take a step back. So traditionally, you have a stakeholder that has this vision of like, I got this idea, I want to build four marketing sites, right? And he needs to have like buttons and hero images and cards and crazy animations and stuff like that. And so they give this idea to the designer and the designer's looking at it, okay, cool, got it, all right, designing, designing in their type of Photoshop or sketch like that. And they have this output, which is a PDF. And traditionally... The designers are done. This is the final mock-up. How many times have we heard of that? This is the underscore, final. Underscore, final, underscore, final, two, underscore, final, final. Underscore, final, final, exclamation point. That exclamation point is when you know it's done. Underscore current. <laughs> R1, R12. Underscore newest. <laughs> anyway, so you have the final design file there, and you're sending it over to the development team. And development team opens it up and looks at it and like, Oh, okay. We got, you know, three marketing sites here. We got the, you know, heroes and stuff we got to build. Cool. Let's build this stuff together. And before we get started on the front end, which is the pretty theming side where you where the users usually see like the colors and interactions stuff like that, the back end needs to be built, which is like the back end logic. How does the data map up and stuff like that? Yeah, so this is actually an interesting point, right? The idea of of the traditional blocker to front end development is back end development. Have and you so, done development before? Because I'm about to get into that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that this is this is actually a big point of design systems, right? If you if you're able to say, I can build my experiences before I have to wait for backend development to build me the content engine for my experiences mm -hmm. with the same set of defaults. Like that seems to be where a lot of the power lies. Is that right? Yeah, totally. So that's what's happening. You're, the backend's doing their thing and then front end's kind of just waiting to get started. And then backend's done and front end goes in and makes things pop, make things look really good and interactions and stuff like that. I, I just felt all the designers that listen to this podcast cringe. <laughs> I can relate to them. The development team's done with the site. Now what? It goes back up to the stakeholder. Say your goals 
and the animation's too slow. I don't like this header. Let's do something else. Where does it go next? Back to the designer. Yeah, those corners aren't round enough. Yeah. And I thought we were done with, it was the final design, right? So we go back to the very top. You got the stakeholder, back to the designer. Designer designs it pixel perfect, hands it over to the developers. Developers interpret it, hence the word interpret. And then they go back to that long feedback loop of iteration until we get it done. Seems to me like one of the other challenges or problems in this is that you have that process that you just described that seems like it might take months. Totally. And so so what happens when you have a team that has a month lag between getting a design that is, quote, final and then actually being able to get feedback on that? This reminds me of my Twitter days when this this example here where you get the the final design, development, and then iteration and feedback. With designers, they move projects really fast because they're like ninjas, like design ninjas. They go in, they design, they leave, they go design something else. So we get designers changed all the time on these types of projects. So you don't have the same designer. You have different perspectives and maybe the handoff was not clean and like there's not much continuity between the project team because designers are always leaving. So there's a disparity between that when getting that feedback loop. It's a very long feedback loop. So what do design systems do that help solve that problem? Let's use my same example again. So you got this this stakeholder has this vision with this website, making it pop, blah, 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 right? And instead of just telling the designer what to do, you have your design systems team. And that design systems team is usually your front-end developers, your project managers, your designers, your QA person, didn't forget the QA person this time, and um, your product manager as well. And you're listening to the requirements from the stakeholder and you're gathering it together. And then from there, you're building together the mock-up and the components. And so you have that feedback loop that's really tight between the developers and designers and the other team members. It's short and noticeably smaller because that timeline is compressed. Gotcha. So a developer no longer is like waiting three months or five months to see their their design in action when you know they barely remember it and maybe aren't even on the same project anymore they can actually see in in a much shorter time frame their design actually in action totally and there's no more of that digital tennis match of like design's done cool develop back to design back to develop there's none of that anymore you're working together so how does this relate to the single source of truth and this idea of, of maintaining a single source of truth in the design system? That's a, a popular concept. We talk a lot about that. Is this, is this related to that? And how is it uh, a part of building this source of truth? Great question there. So when you're on a design systems team and you're getting these mock-ups and you're doing your interface inventory and you're seeing these repeating patterns and grabbing these components, these components are not one-time use. They're reusable. So they're, they're feeding into the design system. So now you have this single source of truth because the designers and developers are working together and your stakeholders are identifying these components and what these attributes of these components are. What are the variations? What are the do's and don'ts? And once you got this finalized, this component, that card here, it goes into your design system, which is like part of your style guide, part of your pattern library. It tells you what to do and how to use it. So that's your, that's your single source of truth. So it seems to me like when you're talking about a design system, the scary part here is the complexity, right? And so you have this this system that exists sort of between you and the product as the product owner. And, and when you do that, you worry about the idea of complexity being introduced in the system. Already, people have to know almost everything about a product to be able to contribute to it. How does the design system 
either help or hinder that complexity problem. Yeah, you're right. Um, the design systems are huge. They're complex. They're hard to understand. But the great thing about design systems, since so many people are contributing to it, you don't need to know everything about it. You just there's there's certain areas where you can just focus on to get your information since it's a single source of truth. You grab your information and then you walk away with it. Like for example, I am a new person that's coming onto the project. I'm onboarding to this and like understanding what are the design assets here? What is the design system here? So I can go in and just read the documentation of like a card and there's like a card page that tells you all the attributes to the card of like what are the different variations here? What are the do's and don'ts? Where is it used on the site currently? And that's all I need to know. Or uh, if I'm a developer that's onboarding, I can see the API side of it. I can see the code side of it and pull those snippets out. So you really don't need to know everything about it. It might look scary, but if you take it one piece at a time, there's some value in there for you. So you're introducing some additional complexity in order to reduce what people have to learn in order to be able to contribute and use it. Yeah, totally. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Basalt, a full-service digital agency. Basalt is committed to building a better web and specializes in creating design systems. Learn more at basalt.io. All right, so shifting gears for a second. You know, in a traditional sense, what are the steps you as a PM use to build a digital product? And what of those steps are unique to a design system? We've already talked a little bit about things like interface inventories and development of components. So say you have a bunch of components and then you all of a sudden want to build a product that uses those components. What's different about that? A design system isn't a finished product. It's an evolving thing, right? You're always maintaining it. You're always adding to it. You're always pruning it. You're always kind of like doing a retro of like, do we still need this button? It's like a 1997 button with rounded corners. But bevel, <laughs> glow, <laughs> shake, marquee. Oh, God. Yeah. Marquee. No, I mean, I don't make me bust out blink on you. Um, design system, like I said, it's an evolving product. It's a product that serves other products. You're building this one digital product that can power your website or your web app, or even what I've seen before is your marketing flyers because marketing is going to go in and I'm like, how do I, what are, what are the colors? Like, what are the brand colors and this and that they go into the design system? Like, Oh, okay. And they can build this mock-up of a flyer, export as PDF and print. Yeah, way better than using the eyedropper tool on the website to grab that particular color green or whatever. Right. Well, why, why is that? Because we have a single source of truth or something like that? Yeah, something like that. I think that the big piece of this that that is really useful for using this across platforms is the design tokens thing. Thank you, Salesforce, yes. for, for grabbing that term out of the ether. So when you're talking about using design tokens for stuff like multi-product, multi-platform piece, it really is as simple as going into your single source of truth and grabbing your colors, your typography or whatever. Yeah, totally. It's it, and say if there's a change in like marketing goes and does like a rebrand and there's new colors and new fonts and stuff like that. Sure, you blast that email out, but then you go to your design systems and that's your single source of truth. Gotcha. I I think there's a lot of interesting conversations to be had around design tokens and how they actually can flow out to lots of different products. I mean, think about native apps, right? So, mm-hmm. so the idea of like, all right, so. Or Google Material. Remember when they rolled that out? You're like, whoa, it, Gmail's different. Google Calendar's different. Right. Being able to roll out some change in some single source of truth and have that apply across multiple products mm-hmm. is, is a lot of the power there. Yep, totally. So would you say that design systems are a product? 
It is definitely a product. It is not a project because projects end, products don't. You're always iterating, maintaining it, making it better for the next generation. So that's really interesting. The the notion that this thing always evolves and you have to continue to invest and maintain your design system. How do you do that in a responsible way? I can imagine that the things get out of control really easily, right? You end up with hundreds of components or or dozens of different iterations of documentation. How do you do it so that you put some controls and some constraints around the system? Governance strategy. So, so what is that? Governance strategy? Oh, it's how do you maintain the design system? Who maintains the design system? And how often do you prune and maintain it? Right? You have all these questions, all these people uh, contributing to it. And you need a gatekeeper, and that's your governance strategy, right? So, like you said, there could be hundreds and hundreds of components. But if you have a strong governance strategy between a strict design system rules or a loose design system rules, you can have as many as you want or as few as you want when it comes to your uh, governance strategy with the design system. So, is that governance based on a set of agreed on rules? Is it a person? Is it a team? What's the form that that takes? So governance strategy, before you can even get to the governance strategy, you need to kind of take a step back. We do what we call purpose and principles. You get the team together and what are we building? What's the ultimate goal? What is the purpose behind this entire thing, right? What are the principles behind this? And then from there, we all have a shared aligned goal and purpose and principles. We can talk about, all right, who can contribute to this design system? Who's maintaining it? Who's the gatekeeper? Sure, you have all these components you can build, but who says, yes, hero can go? No, card cannot go. We're calling card this instead of that. So I've heard of design principles before, and I've looked at the website, uh, design principles, FTW. uh, (laughs) Yes, that's a good one. Potentially my favorite one. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, is that a good idea as a starting place for design principles? And, And do you have a favorite? Oh, that's a great question. There's so many out there. Um, Spotify is the one that always comes to the top of mind. It's my favorite. It works really well with their brand. It's actually Tune, T-U-N-E, like tune into your favorite song. Oh, that's cute. Yep. Um, it's Tone, Usable, Necessary, Emotive. So Tone, are we using the right kind of tone and voice for our brand? Usable, is it accessible for everyone? Necessary, is that functionality really needed? Emotive, does it feel good? Does somebody care? And now that I'm thinking about it with the usable and accessibility, that's probably why the Spotify mobile interface always changes. It's more accessible for people like you're driving or the play button's all huge now for some reason. That makes sense. Design principles. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, who knew they actually guided companies? (laughs) All right. So the last bit then, you know, when you're talking about this design system being a product serving other products. Talk to me about how this works in a, a multi-product, multi-brand environment. So I have a design system and say I'm, I'm some large enterprise organization. I have dozens, if not hundreds of digital products that now need to consume this. As a project manager, when you are coming into to an enterprise that already has a design system in place, how do you think about consuming that design system and using it for your digital product? What sort of decisions are you making? What sort of trade-offs are there? What are some of the decisions you have to make? What are some of the trade-offs that you're looking at in order to incorporate that successfully into your product? The first thing that I can think of when if I was in this position is that the foundational pieces, the basic stuff that is needed to run the digital products or whatever is already done. Like that's all given. It's just little variations in here and there that you kind of add to, right? 
So now the creative juices come out. You can actually focus on creating one-off pieces or these new experiences because the basic foundation is already built. And so that's one cool aspect of it there. So how do you then take those those creative things that you've built? Like say say you have a new iteration of the card that represents your product and your particular part of the brand the right way. How does that then flow back up to the design system? I mean, you have that one-off experience of this card that's getting a lot of attention that people love, right? You go back to square one. What did we learn on day one? Purpose and principles in your governance strategy, right? Does this align with our purpose and principles? So if that particular card does not fit into the design system, the, the gatekeeper of components says, nope, do not enter, then it just lives outside of the design system and you just maintain it on itself by itself with another team there. It just doesn't go into the design system there. Gotcha. So you still have the flexibility to build these kind of like one-off unique experiences that are outside of the design system, but the design system is in place for a lot of those experiences that maybe you don't want to rebuild every time. 100%. Yep. Well, hey, Nam, I just want to thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. Good to have a beer with you and chat about uh, PMing and design systems. Uh, I know I learned a lot. We just want to say really appreciate it and uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, likewise, Chris. But uh, before we end, I have one question for you. You said you like design systems, ftw.com. What's your favorite design principles? Oh, medium for sure. What is it off the top of your head? Direction over choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, that whole idea of like maybe we shouldn't expose everything to a user. Maybe we should give them some direction about how they should use our product. I think that's a brilliant way of using principles in your product. Awesome. Well, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Talk to you soon. That's all for today. We'd love to hear from you with questions, ideas for new episodes, beer recommendations, or comments. You can find us on Twitter at the DS Pod. Cheers, and thanks for listening to the Design Systems Podcast. Mm-hmm.